Hello and welcome back. We are currently going through the seven churches of Revelation. And um, if you weren't able to listen to the episode from last week, I encourage you just to take a moment and listen to that where I just took some time to build a little bit of context around the book of Revelation and also around the seven churches and why these seven churches, what was actually going on. You know, the reality is seven in scripture speaks of completion and perfection. And so Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches in modern day Turkey. And in writing to these seven churches, he's actually addressing the complete church age. So that means that there is a message in there for you and I, there is a challenge in there for you and I, there is an encouragement in those letters to you and I. And you know, as we look through the seven letters, what stood out to me the most is that idolatry, immorality, and false teaching were rife within the church at this time. And unfortunately, we can start to see the same today. Idolatry is anything that we put above God. And unfortunately, we do this very, very well. We put sports teams up. We put famous celebrities up. We even put our favorite pastors and preachers often above God and the place where he should sit in our lives. And God is a jealous God. He is fierce. It is only him who gets the glory in our lives. And so, you know, that was one of the issues. The other issue was immorality and just a lack of purity within the church, a lack of living according to to the way that the Lord would want us to live our lives. And, you know, we live in a culture today where as long as I feel good, that's good, right? And unfortunately, this is not the way that the Lord would want us to live. And, you know, um, thirdly, false teaching. And, um, we hear so many stories about people who just manipulate the gospel or the word of God to kind of suit their own agenda and their own needs. And God cannot and will not tolerate this. And so just like he did for the churches um, in Asia Minor, so he is doing for us. He is coming back for a spotless bride and he is giving us opportunity. He rebukes us with the opportunity to turn our lives around and to weed out the things that are not of him so that we can be in complete alignment with his word and his truth and his heart, which is beautiful. I love God. He is such a gracious God. I don't think we can ever really fully understand the depth of his grace toward us. And, um, I love him so very dearly. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, please go back and take a, take a minute to listen to that. I pray that it would bless you and encourage you. And today we're going to start with the seven churches and um, we're going to start with the first church that Jesus addresses and writes to. And this is found in Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven, I believe it is, um, one through seven. And this is the church of Ephesus, or, you know, some people refer to it as the loveless church. Now, Ephesus was a very famous city, and this was a very famous church. So we have a famous church in a famous city, and um, Ephesus was in the ancient world, a big, bustling, 
um, very productive city. It was one of the most influential cities of the day. And it was, you know, along the Aegean coast. And so a lot of trade ships would come in and out of Ephesus, which obviously impacts the economy. It impacts the diversity. Um, it was just a, a really awesome city, you know, for antiquity. And it was known as a religious, cultural and economic region. And in the city of Ephesus was the temple of Artemis or Diana. And this was the most notable temple to the goddess of Diana, uh, to the goddess Diana. Um, the goddess Diana was the goddess of fertility. This was, you know, the Greek gods, the goddess of fertility. And she was actually worshipped through immoral sex. Now, you know, so many of the pagan gods were worshipped through immoral sex. You know, you could go down to the temples and, you know, there were temple prostitutes. And this in, its, in and of itself is a perversion of intimacy. You know, sex is an act of worship to the Lord. And that is why God is so insistent on the parameters around sex in that it should be kept within the confines of covenant, marriage covenant. And so here we have just one of many examples in scripture of how, you know, the enemy took something beautiful and sacred, an act of worship that was celebrated in covenant, and he perverts it as a form of worship. And so this is, you know, going back to immorality, God will not handle it. He cannot handle it within his church. He doesn't want it in his church. And that's why he weeds it out. And it can seem so harsh and it can seem so hard, but God's mercy actually requires a response from us. God's mercy is that he is saving us. And so um, this was the church of Ephesus. And, you know, I mentioned this was a famous church in a famous city. And Paul actually planted this church on one of his missions journeys. We can read about that in Acts 18. So Paul planted the church of Ephesus and he was known to be there and preach and teach as well as Timothy, his um, protege, and Priscilla and Aquila, who were two amazing people in the early church who really built the early church. And it is also believed that John, who wrote the book of Revelation, um, was who lived in Ephesus for a time and brought Jesus's mother Mary with him. You know, when Jesus was at the cross, he looked down and he saw John and he saw Mary and he said, woman, this is now your son. John, this is now your mother. And that was Jesus basically um, telling, telling John to take care of his mom. And so it is believed that John and Mary lived in Ephesus and attended that church. And so despite all this, Ephesus, you know, big, beautiful, bustling, influential, wealthy city, Ephesus was also a stronghold. So we are going to look at each of the churches has six things that Jesus specifically addresses. And, you know, he introduces himself as, you know, he gives himself a title um, that he uses by way of introduction. Each of the churches, he introduces himself slightly different. He then, you know, talks about the things that are going well. I think Jesus was the inventor of the compliment sandwich, if I can be honest, because he addresses things that are going well and then he challenges the church with things that need to be tweaked. 
and then he gives action steps what to do to actually correct what is wrong and then he gives his closing phrase as well as a promise to the one who overcomes to the one who holds true to what he is requiring and requesting there is a promise and so each of the churches will follow this kind of theme and pattern and um let's dive in so to the church of ephesus in revelation chapter 2 this is how jesus introduces himself he says these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks amongst the seven lampstands now i want you to remember from the last the last episode this is very beautiful very old covenant old testament imagery and basically this is a reminder that jesus he walks amongst the church this is a reminder of jesus's authority he holds the seven stars the seven stars representing the seven leaders of the seven churches that he's about to address but that doesn't exclude us jesus holds us in his hands too the pastor of your church if you are a pastor or a leader god holds you jesus holds you in his hands and so jesus to the church of ephesus the influential famous amazing church jesus reminds them i hold all authority and i walk amongst you ephesus had become big and unfortunately it had become a little bit proud and yet jesus walks amongst the church and he holds them in his hand jesus holds the church jesus holds the church this is his vehicle not man not leaders he gives authority to us to steward his church he gives authority to leaders to steward his vehicle but he, Jesus Christ, is the ultimate authority and he is present within the church. That is a reminder for all of us that he has all authority and he is present. And we are merely stewards. We are bond servants. Paul speaks of himself as a bond servant. He carries out the will of the Father and so should we. And so Jesus addresses the church of Ephesus, reminding them of his authority. And then he speaks to them about what is going well within the church. And if I was part of the church of Ephesus, I would be patting myself on the back because they really, really are doing great things. The church of Ephesus was doing really well and Jesus knows their deeds. I love this because when we are doing big things and little things, Jesus sees our deeds. He sees our hearts. We are seen, we are known, we are heard. So never feel ignored or overlooked, but know that Jesus sees what you do. And it says, like Jesus says of the church of Ephesus that they have worked hard. Like they are worker bees. They are working hard for the gospel. They are working hard to build the church and they persevere. For many of the churches in this area and in this region, they suffered persecution and they suffered real challenge at the hands of the empire. And Jesus sees that you have worked hard and you have persevered. He loves, he says that they cannot tolerate wicked and evil people. You know, this doesn't mean that they can't love them, that they didn't love wicked and evil people, but there was really a line in the sand drawn, you know, that um, they loved people, but didn't love the sin. 
And so wickedness and evil was not tolerated within the church. And they have labored and they have not grown weary. I love this. They have labored, they have toiled in a, in a hard city to build a church, and yet they have not grown weary. This sounds perfect. And this is really how we should all be. We should be laboring and not growing weary. We should be loving people, but not tolerating the sin. We should be working hard and we should persevere. But this is what God holds against them. He goes on to say, but you have forsaken your first love. Now forsaken, this word forsaken in the Greek is the word, I'm going to try and pronounce it, aphemi. And basically this means to abandon or to send away. And it speaks of a husband divorcing his wife. It means to expire. It means to let go, to disregard or to neglect. On the outside, the church looked incredible. This is the type of church that you want to be a part of. They are growing. They are busy. They are active. They are changing things up. They're busy in the community. They're the hands and the feet of Jesus. They are doing all the things. Yet under the surface, if you dig a little bit deeper, they had left their love. And this, this concept of forsaking or aphemi is a deliberate and an intentional decision to leave. The church of Ephesus was working for God, but they had forgotten about their relationship with him. Their works for the Lord had now overshadowed their intimacy with him. You know, I'm, mind, I'm reminded of Isaiah and Jesus, or, you know, it is Jesus. Jesus, the Lord is talking about bringing the sacrifice. And he's like, I don't even want your sacrifice anymore. I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want your bulls and your goats and your lambs and the blood. I want your heart. I want you to look out for the poor. I want you to feed the poor. I want you to look out for the widow and the orphan. God has never been about the things that we do if it means that the things that we're doing surpass our intimate and dependent love on him. He wants our hearts first and foremost. And the church of Ephesus had made an intentional decision to busy themselves with the church, but here's my Bible. I don't really need it anymore. I'm on a roll now. I've got this thing. This machine is well oiled. I don't really need the Bible. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I don't really even need Jesus. It's fine. I've got it. I know how to do what I need to do. And that has never been the heart of God. We literally cannot do anything with him. You know, I, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love and it says that, you know, love, with, doing anything without love is like a loud, annoying symbol. It's like a gonging symbol when we do anything without love. And so everything we do when we do it without love is vain, is in vain. And so their performance and their perseverance and their building and their toiling and their you know their their lack of tolerance for evil means nothing because they had no love for the lord their hard work without love was vain their labor without love was vain but god does not leave us here god doesn't just point out the things that are wrong and oh i'm annoyed that you do this and you don't do that and leave us to figure things out i love the heart of god because now he gives them action steps to take 
this is what's going so well and the things that I love so much about what you guys are doing. This is kind of where you've fallen short. Now for Ephesus, it's a big one. They've forsaken the love of Jesus Christ. Like, but you know, God is like, but now I'm going to help you. And he gives them two specific things. He says two specific things to the church of Ephesus that should they embrace these two things and turn it around, it's actually all going to be okay. And the first one is just to remember. He says, consider how far you have fallen. Challenging the church of Ephesus, challenging the leaders within the church to remember where they had once been. Remember when you first met Jesus. Do you remember when you first met Jesus? Do you remember how much love you felt? Do you remember that you wanted to be in church early every single week and you wanted to join a group and you wanted to get out and serve and you were so excited about the things of the Lord? Do you remember that? Do you remember how excited you were? Like you didn't know what you were doing and you didn't even know how to read the Bible, but you were just excited to start somewhere. Do you remember that? Because we were all in that space. We were all in that space and unfortunately life and people and the very fact that the church is made up of very imperfect people who are just trying. So we get hurt and we feel used and we feel abused and we feel all these feelings. And unfortunately what we tend to do is we take these feelings out on Jesus. And so Jesus is reminding the church, remember, remember, remember when you started, remember when we started this journey. Remember how Jesus was the only thing that mattered. You know, I, you know, when you start dating someone or, you know, I was talking to my husband about this the other day and I was like, do you remember when we were first dating? Like you couldn't even hold hands and you just felt like, <gasps> like, <gasps> like everything was just so like exciting. And now it doesn't feel like that. And I was like, why is that? And, you know, the reality is familiarity comes in. You know, it would be super weird if I still giggled every time my husband tried to hold my hand. But the reality is familiarity creeps in. And then we just become like so blasé about things. And this is what we need to safeguard in terms of our relationship with Jesus. I don't want familiarity to come in when it concerns my relationship with Jesus. I want to be just excited today as I was the first day I gave my life to him. And the first time I felt the presence of his spirit, I want to feel that all again. And so it's so important for us to continue to cultivate that in our lives. Do you remember when he was the center of all things, when he was the focus of everything we did? That's where we need to go back. So Jesus says, remember how far you've fallen. So remember where you were, remember where you started. And then he says, repent. Repentance is such an incredibly important thing in our faith. Something that we don't really like to talk about, but something that is so vital. We don't have the good news without repentance because that is what sets our faith apart. We come to Jesus who died and rose again and we repent. We turn from our sin. We acknowledge the things that are wrong and we make a deliberate decision to turn away from them. And Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, turn, turn. It's actually so easy. Turn, change your direction. Just change your direction. Do the things that you did at first. Make a conscious and a deliberate decision. You made a conscious and deliberate decision to walk away from your love. So actually turn and make a conscious decision to walk back towards your love. 
do the things that you did at first. If not, if the church of Ephesus fails to remember and repent, Jesus says that their lampstand will be removed from its place, which was a place of prominence and influence. Now, I don't want to point fingers like and say, oh, they mustn't have repented because, I mean, the church of Ephesus doesn't really exist anymore. Um, but I wonder, did they heed these words or not? And Jesus said, if they fail to heed my word, you will be removed from your place of prominence. And the reality is we need to, you know, we live our lives not for prominence, not for fame, not for glory, because I want Jesus to be glorified in my life and in everything I do. But I don't want him to remove me from my place of influence because I fail to address the things in my life that need addressing. And so Jesus says, as he's closing, um, his closing phrase, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears to hear, I'm hearing, I'm reading, I'm seeing, I have an ear to hear. So this means that the letter to the church of Ephesus is as much for me and a message for me as it was to the church of Ephesus. The Spirit is saying to the churches, plural. The intention here seems that the leaders of each of the churches were to ensure that the letters would circulate amongst the known churches of the day so that everybody could hear each of these messages. So this will be similar in, or you know, the same throughout each of the letters to, to whoever has an ear to hear. I have an ear to hear. So what is it in this letter to the church of Ephesus that God is speaking to me? Have I forgotten the love that I had at first? Have I deliberately made a, to a choice and a decision to walk away from the love of Jesus? Are there things in my life that I need to repent from? Are there things that you need to repent from? Are there things that you need to remember and go back, go back, Remember how in love you were. Remember how it felt. Remember how excited you were before familiarity came in, before you got hurt, before people upset you, before you were, you know, disillusioned by things. Do you remember when it was just you and Jesus? How exciting, how thrilling and, you know, like, oh, you couldn't wait. You couldn't wait. Go back. Is that where you need to be? Do you need to go back to that space with the Lord? And I just want to encourage you, there are things that you need to, to bring to the Lord and repent from. He is so quick to forgive. The Bible says, you know, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and unrighteousness. And, um, you know, so I want to encourage you, come before the Lord if there are things that you need to ask for forgiveness for. And remember, remember, remember the love that you had at first. And as the letter closes out, Jesus promises to the one who is victorious, to the one who is able to do this, to the one who is able to repent and turn from their ways, to the one who is able to remember what the Lord has done and you know remember where we began, to the one who is able to repent and remember and continue the good work, this is what he promises, eternal life. The Lord will allow them. This is what it says in Revelation 2. The Lord will allow them to eat from the tree of life. The tree of life 
This is imagery of a return to Eden. This is imagery of complete restoration, of intimacy with God, of paradise. You know, we were never meant to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God knew that we would, but that was not his original intention. You know, we know that in Genesis there was two trees, the knowledge of the good, uh, the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. The tree of life would ensure that we would live forever. And that is why after Adam and Eve were sent from the Garden of Eden, the Lord had to put um, angels around the garden so that man could not get back into the garden to eat of that fruit because it would just be a disaster. But Jesus promises that one day to those who turn and repent and remember and cling to their first love, one day you will eat from the tree of life in the Garden of Eden and you will have eternal life and you will live forever completely healed and completely restored and with complete intimacy with our beautiful Saviour. What an incredible promise. That is the Church of Ephesus, guys. I know that there's a lot to digest and I pray that this would never just be like, you know, like cute words, but I pray that in every every letter, in every episode, we would take with us the sword of the spirit and that we would allow the sword of the spirit to penetrate our hearts and our lives. I encourage you with this question as we finish. What are ways that you can safeguard your life and your heart so as to not fall away from your first love? because that is the most important thing that you can hold on to as we walk through life is holding on to our first love so that we can eat from the tree of life and live eternity with him. I pray that this letter has blessed you, encouraged you and challenged you in Jesus' name.